0: Amen. Thank you, Jessica, for pounding those keys for the glory of God. Appreciate that. Well, good morning. Good morning. Seems like I just saw some of you a few hours ago here at the banquet. Uh, this place has been transformed back into a sanctuary. Last night it was transformed into kind of a restaurant atmosphere, I guess you might say, for our banquet. And um, turns out, by God's providence, the Warren Sisters... Played a huge part in our entertainment last night. Um, Their lot, they drew the short uh, straw. At least it was drawn for them. And then their spouses. So we had a good time and everybody was a good sport. Our entertainers were great sports last night. We appreciate that. And again, thank you Moss family. We got to see the whole family's participation in our halftime commercial show spot, whatever you want to call it. And appreciate your efforts for entertaining us in that way as well. <clears throat> and this is Valentine's Day week, if you celebrate that. So don't forget, just a little reminder, maybe to do something a little special for your sweetheart. They deserve it. Today we're going to actually conclude our little series on, on the Lord's Prayer that we have been. Examining Jesus has been. Jesus was asked by his disciples, "Teach us how to pray." And so this is the Lord's prayer. This is Jesus's answer. If you want to know how to pray, here is a model prayer and example prayer. When I began this prayer, I introduced it as uh, the most wonderful prayer in the world, the most popular prayer in the world, and probably the most prayed prayer in the entire. World And so literally people of all tongues and nations pray this prayer, even in the most unlikeliest of places, as I was recently informed um, by listening to the president's State of the Union address a few weeks back during his uh, his speech, he made mention or introduced to us a man by the name of Jisong Ho, a North Korean, and North Korea has consistently been ranked, I think, by Open Doors Ministries as the worst country for Christian persecution. And Ji escaped North Korea back in 2006, not a direct route, but over the um, river into China, and then traveled for over over 6,000 miles to eventually make his way to his freedom in South Korea. And what is just as amazing as the, uh, the the travels in the distance was the fact that due to a an accident, he was also an amputee, and he made these travels on a pair of very rudimentary wooden crutches. And when the president introduced him at this speech, he stood up, And he still has those wooden crutches and he he held them high, uh, kind of as a symbol of endurance, but a love for freedom. It was very, very emotional. It was very inspirational. And um, President Trump said to this standing ovation before his escape, when Song Ho was being tortured by North Korean officials, there was one thing that kept him from losing hope, over and over again, he recited the Lord's Prayer. Now that he has reached his freedom, Ji has uh, said that it is his desire to also help and be used by God in freeing other North Korean refugees. He says God, God's love needs to be conveyed to the people of North Korea and North Koreans. Souls need God's salvation under that conviction. I am doing what I am doing, he said. So you see that the Lord's prayer is powerful. The Lord's prayer is is a model. It's meant for us to, to pray along these guidelines that the Lord has given us. And so I've been very grateful for the time that God has given us to spend on looking at each phrase. And so this morning... In this version, there's another version in other Gospels, but in this version, this is the last phrase. And this morning's topic is perhaps a topic that is all too familiar with us, and that is temptation. So in chapter 6, verse 13, Jesus, in teaching us, his disciples, how to pray, he would have us pray, petition our good Father in heaven. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, the Christian life wouldn't be so hard if it wasn't for temptation. I mean, think about it. If it wasn't for temptation, it really wouldn't be that bad. Yeah, there's still sin and suffering and and, and there would be trials, but I mean temptation is is tough and and scarcely a day or night goes by when we are not tempted when we are not enticed to indulge in the flesh in some kind of way or when our minds are just like being pulled into thoughts of evil and darkness it's, we're just always being tempted temptation is relentless Temptation, sin and evil will not ever make a truce with with any humankind, any of mankind There will never be a truce where temptation will say, I'll give you a free pass. I'm going to leave you alone. So what do we make of Jesus's words? And when we pray this, as he has asked us to pray, what exactly is he asking us to pray? What what do we mean? What are we to mean when? We say this, should we ask God to not lead us into temptation when we know that, well, we are in a broken world where there just is temptation. It's just a fact. How can we possibly escape it? It's a matter of fact. Even Jesus himself was tempted. How would why should we ask God for something that even Jesus was not pardoned from? And lead us not into temptation. Does God lead us into temptation? And if so, What does that mean and how does he lead us? And if we don't pray this prayer, are we doomed? Is it effective? How does God answer this prayer? How does all this work? That's what we will consider for our time this morning. The first thing we need to look at, I think, and develop is this whole idea of uh, what it means to be tempted versus or as opposed to God's work of testing. You'll be comforted to know That God does not tempt us. God does not tempt people. And I know one of our temptations in life is to think God tempts us and to even blame God for tempting us. Blame God for the evil in our lives. Blame God for perhaps the choices we have made or the evil choices that others have made. But you will be comforted to know that God absolutely does not tempt us. James makes it very clear. Not all scriptures is this clear, but he says in chapter 1, verse 13, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. He himself does not tempt anybody. And so, according to Scripture, though our flesh may wrestle with this, if our lives are falling apart, if your life is falling apart, if people you know their lives are falling apart, And it's because of evil, we just do not have permission to blame God. And I know as blame shifters, that is a temptation. It simply is not in him. He has no desire to engage in evil. He has no desire for any of us to engage in evil. It's not his angle. It's not his nature. It's not his character. It's above him. It's beyond him. He simply will not tempt. So God is not out there trying to mess our lives up, break them, and make them miserable. I mentioned this a while ago, but about a month ago, just kind of out of thin air, I was reading some news articles, and there it was, this headline, uh, The Pope Wants to Change the Lord's Prayer. And I thought, The Pope Wants to Change the Lord's Prayer? What in the when I read the world I read the, the, the article and sure enough the Pope has a proposal to change some wording in the Lord's Prayer and it is this particular line that we are looking at this morning lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. And he has two reasons for wanting to change this line. One is it's theologically confusing confusing and it is, and we're actually going to have to spend a little bit of time this morning in weighing through this theological confusion. And another reason is he says that it actually can be stated in a, uh, or elucidated. It can be put more clearly. Is that true? Are those good arguments? Um, in my estimation, yeah, those are true arguments. It is theologically confusing. We'll look at that this morning and you'll see why. And there is a little wiggle room in interpretation. Remember, this is the what we have here, and that's why we have different versions of Bibles, um, is translation taken from the original language. So there is a little wiggle room in this translation. Um, he desires to change it from lead us not into temptation into do not let us fall into temptation. So it doesn't really ruffle my feathers that he has made this proposal. As a matter of fact, I actually am astounded at this proposal because you're talking about this the Catholic Church who holds tradition, in many cases, equal to the authority of Holy Scripture. And here we have the Pope saying or proposing that we change a traditional view or saying of our prayer. That, in my, in my mind, is just um, audacious. And so, yeah, I'm kind of really curious to see where this will go in light of that context. So, Scripture says if we're enticed to do evil, it simply does not come from God. Uh, Scripture says that it comes from the father of lies. It comes from outside, um, from the enemy, from Satan. It, It comes from our fellow evil man who entices us to do evil. And it comes from the evil in our own hearts. So, even if Satan didn't exist and your evil neighbor didn't exist... You would still struggle with evil based on your own merits, based on your own sin nature. But what does this mean, This all of this evil? Does this mean that, that God doesn't have any control over it, that he can't help us in any way, that we are on our own? No. God absolutely will help us in our temptations. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted He is able to help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 2.18. So it's God's desire, not that we would give way to evil. It's God's desire to lead us. It's God's desire to help us. It's God's desire and He will give us measures of grace, help, as we need it. So He does not cause the temptations, but... Does God allow temptations? God does allow temptations. He does not cause the evil, but he allows temptations to come our way. I've heard one theologian said that um, Satan is a lion on a leash. So we're not on our own. And God is not helpless. He doesn't have his hands tied behind his back saying, oh, my goodness, I hope Satan isn't too rough on you today because there's nothing I can do about it. Satan is on a leash and in God's sovereign control, which means we may never understand every dynamic of his reign and rule and how it all interacts. But in his sovereign reign and rule, Satan is a created being created by the sovereign Lord. And so Satan is under God's control. He is on a leash. And God allows him, permits him to continue in his evil ways, though he does limit him and restrict him. And, of course, we know in the end that God works all things for good. How he does it, we can't always figure it out. But yet, even something as vile and contrary to his character as evil, he is so incredibly wise and omnipotent that he can use and does use even that To bring about wonderful good things that would not have come about in and of their own. So God does not lead us into evil or to do evil, but he does lead lead us. That word for lead here is is an aggressive kind of lead. And it reminds me of um, uh, some of the old timey movies or classrooms where you'll see the teacher... Take a student who's been misbehaving in class and he grabs him by the ear and leads him to the principal's office. It's a, it's a forceful, aggressive kind of leading that God does. I think a good example of being led into temptation is found, and we already looked at it in Matthew chapter 4. And I won't go to it in great detail, but that's when Jesus, before he launched his ministry... He goes into the desert for training, for preparation, before he go- takes it public. And Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says this Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, God the Spirit, into the wilderness for what? To be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit. Why? What was going on here? Well, there's a battle. And yes, Satan is the enemy of good. Satan is the enemy of God. Makes, makes that very clear. hates God. And yet God is overseeing this whole wilderness experience. In fact, this whole wilderness experience of temptation is literally a very crucial and part important part of God's plan. For redemption of the entire world. That one scene. Because Jesus had to face his enemy. And in order to do that, there has to be some kind of confrontation. Some kind of battle. In order for there to be some kind of victory. You can't just ignore it. The enemy exists. He is rotten to the core. And so to confront the enemy means some kind of test, some kind of battle here. Some kind of potential hardship. Yeah, coming up brushing against evil, not with a desire to do evil, but with a desire to what? Overcome evil. It's a part of the economy and the plan. Evil has to be confronted, so we gotta face it. We cannot Escape that in our own lives. The evil in our heart, the evil that is imposed upon us, we have to face it. Sometimes we have to go toe to toe with it. And in order for that to happen, there has to be this test, this this time, this wilderness experience to face it. The Puritans used to say, God permits sin, but he does not promote sin. So God leads the devil, tempts to do evil. But what does it even mean to be tempted? And here's where a lot of the theological confusion comes from. This word for temptation, uh, the the Greek word, um, just like in our vocabulary, we have the same word that kind of has different meanings, really. Well, this word legitimately means temptation, but it also legitimately means test, trial, tribulation. The same word can mean temptation those different nuances, legitimately. And so, what's the difference between a temptation and a test? The difference is motive. The difference is what is behind the person that is behind the temptation or the test. What is it that they are getting at? What is their goal? What are they trying to accomplish? And temptation is often kind of Satan's word. You'd put that in his camp because the, Satan's motive behind confronting us with evil, enticing us with evil, is to make us fail, is absolutely to draw us into sin. His intent is not to. Confront us so that we can have victory, so that we will grow and become more godly. Make no mistake, any of those thoughts that come into your mind that we might think are so friendly, that we might think are so harmless, are there to bring us down one way or another. There's just no mixed emotion or motive behind it. That's the temptation. Or what is the testing? You've taken tests. We've taken tests. Some of you guys might say, I'm a terrible test taker. But we have tests in life. And God brings us tests. Why do we have tests? Well, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tested before you can get your license and drive. You need to be tested for good reason. We want safe drivers, we want informed drivers. In order for you to go from say seventh to eighth grade, you're going to have a series of tests to make sure that you're equipped, that you're qualified to make the transition. Some of us did not make that transition in school and maybe spent an extra year or two because we did not pass those tests. So we're given tests, and tests are for good. They're for good reason. You want to fly a plane, you got to take a test. You want to become a U.S. citizen. You're supposed to take a test. It means that you understand what's behind it. You understand what it means to be an American. So tests are absolutely necessary. They play an important part in our lives. You want to get an A? You've got to take tests. You want to get that fancy degree? You're going to have to take tests. Spring's coming on. The grass is already and some of that onion or garlic grass is already starting to grow. And you're thinking to yourself, I want to cut grass this year at the church. I just have this God-inspired urge to cut grass. Corky's going to say, let me test you. Make sure you can ride the zero turn and not run into the church. So tests are important things. They're given to make sure that we can prove ourselves where we need to prove ourselves. I mean, think about our military. Military, these warriors, these, these, these folks are tested and drilled, and tested, and drilled, and tested, and drilled. Why? And our police officers and people that are out there, their jobs are to keep us safe. Why do they have to go through such so, so many tests? It's because when they're put in that spot at that time, when they're going to face an enemy, when they're going to have to make a choice between right and wrong, or what exactly I do, do I do to keep people safe in this situation, they need to be proven that they're going to do the right thing. They're going to stay on the right team. So tests are absolutely important. We need to be proven. John Bunyan says, Temptations when we meet them at first are as the lion that reared upon Samson. But if we overcome them, the next time we see them, we shall find a nest of honey within them. Little victories. There's there's rewards in facing our enemies. As a matter of fact, when you think in the context of even the Beatitudes, what does God do? What is this teaching really about? The whole Sermon on the Mount. It's about setting us free. Because these things that we want to hold on into our lives, little sins, little compromises, evil. It holds us, it it shackles us fears where there should be no fears, anxieties where there should be no anxieties. These things, they, they limit us, they confine us in our lives. They ruin it. They take the joy out of it. And this is all about Christ wanting to set his people free. And the way we are set free is by overcoming sin. The way we overcome sin is by being trained. Facing our battles, the evil within and and overcoming them. Many, many people in Scripture were tested. Abraham, why do we call Abraham the father of faith? All the way back at that time where this dad who had one son, promised son, waited forever to get him, got the son beyond all odds at an old age, and God says, take him up and sacrifice him on the mountain. And he does it. Well, I mean, he, he, he starts to do it. He gets like this close to sacrificing his own son. Knife in the air. God stopped him. It was a test. Because of that and other things, he is the father of faith. Yeah, God tests us. We need to be proven. But it's for the good. It's for the good of of the person. It's for the good of the world. It's for the glory of God. They are opportunities for us to grow, for us to gain, for us to see areas of weakness, see areas that we need to work on in our lives so that we're not so vulnerable to these things. What do we need to beef up? What do we need to fortress? Where are the cracks? You know, we're all faced with very many trials. Philip Rikens says, a test is a trial posed by God to prove the strength of our faith. This is what we are faced with. And they're not to ruin our lives as we sometimes hold our fists up at God. You're ruining my life. Messing it all up. Where God's motive is say. I want to make you even stronger. I want to enrich your life even more. Make it more beautiful than it is. But there's this stuff here. You're believing lies or you're being the liar, whatever it is. You're serving evil. You're putting prison bars and you're, they're getting thicker and thicker. I want to free you from that. I want you to grow. It's for our good. Speaking of. Uh, Giving in to temptation. Several months ago, I came across this little article about a guy. Well, actually, it was an uproar. You, you might know more about it than I do if you follow social media and stuff like that in the Christian realm. I'd never heard of this guy, but I just remember seeing all this uproar from people. So I'm like, what are they, what are they talking about this guy for? What did he do? And there's this pastor uh, by the name of Carl Lentz. I don't know. Maybe you follow him. But anyway, he's a pastor of a church in I think, New York City, a Hillsong church. And he's apparently he's a very popular guy. Um, and he hangs out with very popular people. He hangs out with celebrities. He was the guy, for what it's worth, that baptized Justin Bieber. Um, so it's, it's this kind of guy. And he was on TV. And he goes on um, The View where... It is notoriously known for being extremely progressive and liberal, and conservatives can really get chewed up and spit out on that show. You are going to be confronted. But anyway, people had high expectations for this guy because he goes on this show, and you think, wow, man, he's brave. And immediately, he's on there playing it cool, and immediately they go for the juggler vein. They go for these uh, big social make-or-break issues that we Face And they um, wanted to know about abortion. What do you think about abortion? Is it right or wrong? And so I think probably his fans or Christians or whatever were expecting him to say, take a a strong stand. And what he did was he said, well, I would need to know the person before I could make that judgment. That's that's between that person and God. And I would need to I would kind of need to know their situation. Their circumstance and that's why Christians were blasting him because they said you blew it you had an opportunity to clearly articulate the truths of Scripture and um, you caved you got you got relevant and of course to that answer the liberal audience gave him a standing ovation because they took that to mean ah oh, God says it's situational. There are times when abortion is a good and right thing. So, very possible that this guy was given an, a test, an opportunity to stand strong for truth. And at least many people think he bailed. He failed. Apparently, that uproar has settled down. I haven't heard a word since it. We need to be tested, we need to be proven. I remember, um, I know it's make-believe, but sometimes when I watch movies, I'm, I'm still a little kid again. And Captain America, the first one, the best one. Um, he is, you know, he's a scrawny guy, but he really wants to be a, a, a strong guy. And he's a hero at heart, but he's tested. He makes it in the army, I think, kind of illegally or something. Somehow he gets in there. He's too scrawny, but he gets in there. And one of the commanders wants to you know, try and test people for leadership skills. Who has the heart for this? And so they're, I don't know, they're in, they're in order or form or whatever you call it. Kevin, help me out. What do you call it? Standing in at attention or in formation. They're in formation. And uh, so anyway, the, the guy, um, he takes a grenade. He pulls the pin and he throws it in the midst of them. So here they are. They're all standing. And who is the one that dives on that grenade and hugs it so that his fellow mankind, his soldiers will not get hurt? Captain America. Tested. Proven. That's the man I want to follow in the battle. I know it's make-believe, but it's kind of true. It's kind of true. (laughs) Tests are good. They're good. James tells us also that we actually, uh, believe it or not, we should rejoice in them. They're that good says they're that good because it's God growing you. It's God sanctifying you. We do want to grow in Christ, right? Yeah. And so we should rejoice over these trials. We should joy, rejoice over opportunities to overcome the enemy that wants to mess up our lives. Psalm 26, 2. Psalmist says he, he asks for a test. Try my heart. See if there's any wicked thing. In there. It's like God, um, I, if there's something weak in here, I'd, I'd like to know about it now so I can work on it. Help me see it. Open my eyes up to it because I don't want to get in this battle and get beaten up and lose ground. God knows what we're made of, but do we? Without some kind of testing? So they're good. Now, practically speaking, as we think about this prayer, it's impossible for us to, we're not asking God to completely allow us to be the, the, the 0.01% that actually escape all temptation. Because in the big scheme of things, we're just in a broken, fallen world, we're broken ourselves, we are going to face it. We're asking Him to to. Enable us to get us through it, to strengthen us, to, to, to grow us in it, to open our eyes to these things. Help us, Lord, to be a better fighter, to not just have a sword, but to learn how to use it, the word of God. These are all things that are very important when it comes to temptations. It's not to be spared because they they serve a purpose. Not to mention that we can even tempt ourselves. We, are, we have feet that wander right? And we know we shouldn't be doing this and our mind is saying, uh-uh, go this way and here's our feet, next thing you know we're, we're in it. We tempt ourselves. Something also to keep in mind as we, we understand what the verse 13 means. Some people go so far to say that, you know, I am in this category where I just have many more temptations and trials and hardships in my life than the average Christian. And uh, you just, therefore, don't understand. And I get a little restless when I hear somebody say that because it can easily be an excuse you see, your trials aren't as hard as mine. Therefore, I'm exempt. God should exempt me from having to overcome them, from having to put so much effort into changing my heart and into bringing order and peace into my life. I've got a little a little free pass, at least in my own mind. I got this little free pass. But scripture says that there's no temptation Which isn't common to man. Everybody. Everybody is tempted. Everybody faces hardship. There are different degrees. Life can be harder for some than others. But temptation is temptation. Trial is trial. Hardship is hardship. None of us are in this category where we get a free pass to not have to claim victory and do the hard work in our hearts of overcoming these habits. God's faithful. He gives us a way to escape. But what exactly are we asking for in this prayer? The Westminster Catechism says, We pray that God would either keep us from being tempted to sin or support and deliver us when we are tempted. We look to God's grace. Hebrews 4.16, Therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's there. God promises it. He doesn't say, I'm going to take you out of the fight. Matter of fact, I'm going to bring you to the battle lines. But I'm with you the whole time. And I have strength that you do not have. Temptation testing. Why is it such a dangerous thing? It's so dangerous about temptation. Well, basically two things. Our enemy's strong. Our enemy is strong. The scriptures are constantly saying, "Beware! watch out. You have got to stay on your guard because he is relentless, relentlessly evil. He is very ambitious and driven in his plan to overcome God and to reign as God. So 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil prowls around like a roaring, lying, seeking someone to devour. That's what we're up against every day, every night. He's strong. We don't want to think too highly of him. That's dangerous. Neither do we want to think too lowly of him. That is dangerous. And by the way, the person that wrote that in Peter, Peter himself was devoured. There's times where he caved into temptation. He thought he was so strong and then God tested him. He said, you're going to be sifted. You're going to deny me. No, I'm not. All right, let's, let's see what happens. This puts you in a real test in real life. Not simulation. He failed. Enemy's strong. He's relentless. He's persistent. Uh, he's smart. He knows. If you have a weakness, the enemy already knows about it. It's a pattern in our life. We have sin patterns. He knows about it. I mean, we can learn each other's sin patterns. It's not that impressive, but... He knows about it, and you can count on that's probably what he's going to use many times to bring temptation in your life. That pattern of weakness, it's a go-to. That's what our enemies do. They find weaknesses. It's a smart thing to do. So we need to be careful. We need to be aware. He's crafty. He twists words. You ever find yourself, all of a sudden you just did something terrible, and you're thinking, how did that just happen? What did I just do? What did I just say? What did I just look at? I, I didn't intend for that to happen. He's so crafty. He just, he'll just he just twist everything, put a little excuse in there. Next thing you know, voila. Subtle, creative. Lots of tricks in his bag. And I just can tell you that this very moment as I speak, he wants to bring evil into your life. There is a pressure, like an atmospheric pressure, if you will, a spiritual pressure For you to do evil in all these little areas of your life. So he's strong. Another reason that we have to be careful with it and it's dangerous is because we're weak. We have this nature in us that actually wants to entertain it. We don't like to look at ourselves in that light. We don't like to think of ourselves as plotting evil, but we do. So... Philip Ryken says, Like Eve, we eat that which is forbidden. Like Abraham, we lie to save our necks. Like David, we lust. Like Elijah, we have pity parties and feel sorry for ourselves. Like Peter, we are overconfident. So if our, uh, our enemy is strong and we are weak, how do we fight it? How do we stand a chance? How do you fight this thing called temptation? How do you overcome? Well, first of all, Pray. That's the whole reason we're looking at this, and that's the whole reason Jesus added it into this model example prayer. Prayer works. It's hard work. It's not instant. But this is exactly what Jesus says, and we might have other plans. Jesus says, pray. Pray. God hears. God knows. It works. It is your greatest weapon. Against temptation. Pray in this way, of course, believing and trusting in the sovereignty of God and His power. Thomas Watson, another Puritan, says prayer is the best antidote against temptation. How often do we take that serious? This weapon that God has given us. Prayer. What does it do? Well, first of all, it helps keep us clean because if you're going to say God... Lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil with your words. And yet in this part of your brain, you're already thinking about some evil you're going to do. That's kind of hard, isn't it? I've done it. I've prayed this prayer and realized in my heart there was something that I wanted evil. You now, wow. That's that that sin nature. You know, the flesh is weak, the spirit is strong but helps us come to grips with the things that are in our hearts. And also, I think it's wise to pray like this before we're tempted, as preparation for temptations that will come. Because what we often do is, oops, I just messed up, Lord. Lead me not into temptation. After the fact, you know, it's easier to be forgiven and do the hard work of changing our hearts. We've got to be prepared. We've got to be prepared to work for this and not be passive. Be active in order to be victorious. James 4.7 Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That's one of those active warrior words. It's resist. It's, these are fighting terms. Resist. Don't give in. Scratch. Call. The Spirit fights with us. He's the, he's the paraclete. Sanctification is the Holy Spirit coming alongside us. It's 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 the two of us together. Justification, God accomplishes on His own. But sanctification, it's, it's me and God. We have to do the heavy lifting, but He's right there with us. He's got strength and power, but we do the heavy lifting. It's a joint mission. So, you know, we, we can pray. We, we can be before a plate of chocolate If that's our weakness, and we can pray, dear God, when I open my eyes, I pray this plate is gone. This temptation is gone. We can pray that way, but when we open our eyes and it's still there, what? still there. We need to take action. Now what am I going to do with it? Give it to somebody else where it's not a temptation? Or throw it out. I don't know. Chocolate bunnies and veggie tails. I don't know. Get rid of it. Don't form it into an idol. But uh, don't do what I do sometimes. That's it. I can't take all this temp- tempting junk food in the house. I've got to get rid of it. <laughs> it's gone. No more temptation. And just kind of lastly, as we wind down, we want to be careful about praying for temptations, especially the hard ones in our lives, that we're not really asking God to change created order for our sake so we don't have to face temptation. What are you talking about? Well, you know, man, you you, you say you're sexually tempted. I mean... Um, God created us. He created them, male and female. And male's not complete without the female. And it's the whole package and kit of His plan. So guess what? We have physical attractions. And guess what? They're there, placed there by God. And maybe we're young, maybe we're old. We'll say, God, just take this desire away from me. I don't want to be tempted in this way. You know, you're you're asking God to change created order when you pray that. Another way to pray, I think, would be Lord, take the lust out of my heart. Help me with this lust. Because the attraction is a natural good thing God created, but take the perversion away. This is the same thing with food. And I pray, God, I just don't want to. Take my appetite away. Just take it away. In other words, change the plan, in Genesis 1 and 2. Change the whole creation and the order for my sake. So I won't have to fight these battles. The better thing is that, Lord, it's an idol in my life. I have made it something that you did not create it to be. Remove that from me. Open my eyes to that. There's a difference in these kind of things. And I hear a lot of people praying for God to change created order instead of change their hearts. So we got to be careful with this. And we want to be careful what we ask God to do. In these prayers. His answer is not to change created order. His answer is to teach us and train us in godliness, righteousness, and that dreaded word, self-control. That's the answer. Self-control. And I can't close... Without talking about another way to fight temptation, how did Jesus fight it? Sure, he prayed, but when the Satan when Satan was there and he went toe to toe, Matthew makes it unmistakable. How do you have victory when the enemy comes? The Word of God in that short passage, four times in chapter four, four times, every time. He is confronted with a temptation. How does he respond to it? God's Word. God's Word. He had an answer of God's Word to every temptation. Do you? I'm so surprised how many believers just talk about how terrible temptation is in their lives... How oppressive and have not taken the time just to memorize a few verses to go to war against it of truth. I've hidden. How can a young man keep his way pure by living according to your word? I seek you with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commandments. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119, 9, 10, 11. We have to have ammunition. You don't want to go into a battle without what God has given us to fight. Do you have a scripture for the temptations in your lives? If not, plan on bloody noses and black eyes. Stand On God's written word. So, that's how we accomplish our mission. You think about these temptations. We're here to exalt God. We're here to edify the saints. And we're here to evangelize the lost. So, this verse teaches us how to do that. And teaches us how to go to war and how to be victorious. May God get the glory. May we worship Him alone. And may He bless the preaching of His Holy Word this morning.